0: Welcome to episode twenty-eight of the Side. I'm Tom Harbin. I'm joined by Jack Donovan and Scenario Neil. And this evening, we're joined by the man who does this. Always, I on you. It's right of course, we're joined by the ultimate one club man, Mr. Topsy Ojo. How are you this evening, Topsy? Yeah, all good. Uh, thanks for having me. No worries. It's uh, a privilege to have you on. I know Jack's uh, fan at the moment, so uh, you'll probably get some uh, <laughs> no, chat out of him worries. later. I know. It's, uh, it's, a, it's been a mad one. So, yeah, what's been keeping you busy during lockdown? Um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, work-wise, obviously, nothing going on at
1: all. So it's been uh, a lot of time at home with the kids. I've uh, got two young ones, six and four uh trying to get through homeschooling which has been interesting to say the least I think uh, definitely finding out that my son my six-year-old knows a lot more than me about about certain things so yeah that, that's that been quite humbling um a lot of staying fit keeping healthy as well like you know especially early in the start of this thing when it was you are only allowed out for an hour it was like right okay let's make the most of it so I've been getting out running you know biking as well Finally found my bike I've just been sat in the garage for about 18 months and uh found that really good as well um and then i guess just enjoying a lot of quality time at home i mean you know i guess the one thing is we hopefully never have this sort of time again but actually it's quite precious you know for me to spend 11 12 weeks with with my kids seeing them grow up is is invaluable you know and you know sometimes life takes over and you don't get a chance to kind of appreciate that so that has definitely been a blessing
0: Definitely. So yes, yeah, so obviously we're sort of coming. Well, you'd like to think, or you get the feeling we're sort of coming to the end of this uh, this lockdown period, and then uh, you know you've got like the likes of the Premiership looking to come back sort of uh, middle of next month. What's your opinion on that? Do you think that's realistic? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. To be honest, I mean,
1: the guys are only literally just kind of getting back into stage one, which is training in groups social distance can't minimal sharing of equipment it's almost like one group in one group out and it's probably going to be like that for another 10 days to two weeks so I mean if you factor in a normal preseason is usually about five weeks hmm. with the guys having been off for so long and still yet to get I mean you can do as much fitness as you want away but until you're doing it in that competitive environment until you're locking horns with the boys the contact element especially I mean no contact for nearly three months. Uh, It's going to be pretty brutal trying to get into it, especially like the front row boys. So, I mean, if I was to try and guess, you'd be looking at maybe start of August, but that's probably optimistic to to be honest. I mean, you're hoping that everything goes as planned. We tick all the stages. There's no setbacks, um, all the issues away from just dealing with this virus as well. You know, finances, players, contracts, this, that, and the other still needs to be sorted. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm definitely trying to be optimistic and hope that end of July, start of August, we're not too far
0: off. And how important do you think it is to finish the current season? Obviously, as we know, the premiership's getting, so seemingly getting closer and closer between the, the teams. Obviously, you've got a couple of teams in around those European spaces. So, do you think that's a big factor behind getting this finished or do you think it's more financial, financial gain?
1: Uh, a bit of both. I mean, you know, BT have been brilliant in terms of, you know, honouring their payments. So so most of those have been made. So, you know, clubs don't have that massive stress of, right, we need to play the games just to fulfil that obligation. Um, I think from an integrity point of view, obviously, it's great to finish the league. And like you say, it is so competitive. Uh, a lot of the hard work that teams have put in, they would like to see finished as well. And if, if that's safe to do, the, do so, then of course, they will push through. Um, And obviously the financial side is there, like what you said, you know, in terms of sponsorship, you know, there'll be no gate revenues and who knows when we're next going to see gate receipts. Um, But I I think just for the general good of the competition as well, I I think most of the directors want to see it finished. So they'll push, I say push, push within reason, as long as it's safe to do so, try and progress and, and try and get rugby back on the pitches. Do you
2: think the sport will sort of suffer with, um, you know, certainly for the the short period, having no fans in the stadiums? Do you think that's going to affect teams massively?
1: Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. I I think it will be a a very surreal experience. I mean, um, you know, having been watching the the, uh, German football quite closely and seeing it, I mean, it's quite interesting. You know, I look at it with, with a different perspective now. and Obviously, some teams especially, you know, you take your your Exeters, you know, your Leicesters, your Northamptons who are used to running out in front of packed home stadiums. (laughs) You come out and there's 200 to 300 people in there. It's going to be eerie. It's going to be weird. And one of the things I've noticed, obviously home advantage is is pretty much non-existent. I mean, you know, one of the big factors is intimidating atmospheres, hostile crowds, um, that energy that you get from a home support and again, like I've noticed it in in the German football, you know, it it comes down to pure skill. Mm. You know, 11 v 11, there's 15 v 15, who can execute better, there's no external influences, it's just 15 guys versus 15 on the pitch. So it'll actually become a real eye-opener in terms of skill set, in terms of fitness, and actually mentally, who can just deliver, regardless of what else is going on. So, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously... Thinking ahead, but I'd love to see how it plays out and how players deal with that. That's perfect. I
2: mean, I noticed we spoke to them the other week and they said in Australia they're actually getting cardboard cutouts of people, to pictures of them, to just sit them in the stands. Do you think it's going to go that way or is it just. Um,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's quite funny. I, mean, I like the different strategies teams are using. I think I saw one the other day. Um, they installed an LED screen and people could watch from Zoom from their yeah, home. Yeah, so it looked like so they were all there. Um, whether rugby will do that, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's great. I know some clubs have used it for fundraising as well, which is brilliant. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I think some clubs could probably pull it off really well. I think others they, they've got other priorities to worry about. <laughs> That's fair
3: enough. <laughs> and saying about the stadiums and the attendances, hmm, actually links onto quite a big topic that I imagine is floating around a lot of the London Irish players this week. That this weekend would have been the last game at Madetski. So uh, how how's all that been? Because obviously this wasn't expected, and in the final ever season at Madetsky Stadium, to have it sort of cut off and let's say like no end of season celebration there or anything is that is that a surreal one for the players and the fans that it's almost like an ending without without the farewell?
1: Yeah, I think for. It'll be quite surreal for, for a lot of people. I mean, I'd probably say the, the, the fans more than anything because, you know, I, I think players are quite resilient in that they'll just, you know, they're used to playing in different grounds. They'll just get on with it. I mean, you know, guys that have maybe been there a while, you know, guys like Blair Cowan, Scott Steele, who are very used to the Mideski, it'll mm. be quite weird, thinking mid-season if we don't go back there. They were there and now they're in a new stadium. Um, you know, we we just don't know if it's been the last game there or not, we'll have to wait and see again how all these stages play out. But I mean, uh, it will it will be very strange. And you know, obviously the club had big plans in terms of marking it. And it was going to be this huge celebration. Um, so I don't know if you saw they posted the the other day. I mean, in the end, so we we got twenty twenty one of us on a Zoom yeah. call, basically Generation two thousand through to twenty twenty of that period at the Madeski, just to kind of chew the fat and talk through. It. I think the club are going to release that at three on Saturday, which would have been kickoff. Um, just to talk about our time there, uh, and it was, it was actually it was actually a great phone call um, I think we, we tried to cap it an hour and a half. We could have been there five hours. It was one of those you know, the stories start coming out and you just start reminiscing and you know, I remember when this happened. remember when that happened um, so I mean obviously, I'm hopeful that depending on how this plays out, there is an opportunity to get back there, but we just don't know it's guessing at the moment. And 'cause they will wait for government guidance, premiership rugby guidance and take it from there.
2: I wanted um, to go over obviously sorry, Jack. Just saying, yeah. Um obviously you had a massively, you know, long and, and fruitful career with uh, with London Irish and um, played for England as well. Do you have like a highlight of your career? Is there a point in your career or you a match or a certain point in a match where you this it really still gets the hairs in the back of your neck going up? Yeah, yeah.
1: there, there there's a couple. Um my debut yeah. is, is the first one, going right I mean, like I say, you're a young kid coming in, you're you're itching to get your opportunity and like I say I remember it vividly, it was on the bench, um, yeah. someone went down injured at half time and it's like right, Topsy you're on. I was like, All right, a bit bit nervous, you're like, you know, sometimes you don't expect the call to come like that first game, you think, right, okay, twenty minutes off the bench at the end, something like that, easy win. It's like right, you're in and I scored with my first touch. And <laughs> like the elation, obviously, you're like, man, th- th- this is unbelievable. I, I remember the like, because it was um, player Dylan Armitage. He chipped it through. I chased it, scored. And, like, you just ecstatic. You're like, right, dreamland. And, then, like I say, that that picture is, b- is very vivid. So, I, I remember that one. Um, yeah. A game against Bath away around, I think it was about 2006. Um, brilliant game. I think it was like a 35-point game. Um, and scored a try. I, I don't know how I scored, <laughs> scored it. It was like, we, we took a quick line out. Um, and I just remember pretty much seeing the whole buff pack in front of me and thinking this was the worst decision ever. <laughs> and five seconds later, I'm under the sticks. So, and it's like, I, mean, I, to just, I, I don't know how I did it. You kind of just reacting and you know, there's, there's no thought process there. It's just react, stay out of trouble. Try not to yeah. let that big lad smash you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's another one that stands out for, for sure. Um, to lose in the Heineken semi-final, Of course, um, that one was interesting because that it wasn't actually more me at the time. It was actually the moment that stands out for me was afterwards. It was Brian Smith. Right. Um, Cause I mean, we'd lost the game. So obviously really devastated. But I remember him saying to me specifically, he was like, you've done something special today. And I didn't really realize it at the time. Um, but then obviously ended up doing quite a lot of press. I'm probably the most press I'd done at that point in my career. And you're kind of not realizing, okay, well, all right. I know I scored and, you know, the game went okay, but, but we lost. Mm-hmm. And obviously the follow on from that a couple of weeks later, I'm getting a phone call saying that I'm, I'm going to New Zealand. Um, so yeah, again, that, that period of time was, you know, again, anytime I think about that, it's like, man, you know, those are the, those are the occasions and, the games that you want to be a part of, those really big ones. You know, I remember Twickenham, we just did the bottom bowl, so 30,000 sellout and just unbelievable atmosphere, you know, green everywhere. you are playing Toulouse, like Giants of French rugby, like unbelievable roster, superstars everywhere. Um, We knew we were the underdogs, but it's again, you know, like, like we just have a crack, you know, we'd be in Perpignan the match before, like I say, brilliant game. Obviously, we didn't win, but I say the follow-on for that for me is, yeah, a highlight. And then, guess fast-forwarding a bit, probably bittersweet, but like my, my last game. Because mm-hmm. it, I think it wasn't until the final whistle went that I kind of, it, it hit me. Everything hit me at once. And I remember being with, I, was, I stood next to Brendan McKibben in, in the tunnel as we were clapping, ealing off. And I, I just, I needed a minute and like he just kind of held me and I was like <laughs> trying to hold my head um, like on his shoulder just like to, to bring myself together because, you know, like say maybe that was the realisation that, okay, like you say, we're talking about last game of the Dasek, I was like, right, okay, this is it, like it's done now. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple, I mean, I could probably reel off a few more to stand out, but yeah, those, those ones jumped out. Perfect.
2: Well I say I'm uh I'm I am i have i gotta put this in there. Jack on himself won't thank me for there saying you it, but go. I'm a Gloucester fan. Um and I wanted to <laughs> talk about the European, <laughs> uh, European the um the, the final obviously where you lost to Gloucester that, that year. was it two and
1: six? Was that right? Yeah, oh. two Challenge Cup final, two
2: yeah. Yeah, I was actually there that day. It's the only time I've been to Twickenham and seen Gloucester win. Every time I've been really?
1: to
2: <laughs> So um yeah, but um I mean, did they, do you ever have matches, not necessarily that one, but are there a certain matches in your life where you think, I oh, wish I could have done something differently or oh, wish if I would only done
1: this, we'd have won that match? Or is, is there anything that sort of sticks in you? Um, yeah, you, you have loads of those. I mean, you know, that, that was one definitely, you know, we felt, you know, we had enough opportunities to win that game. It goes into extra time and it can go either way. And obviously, you know, I think it's Fozzie that, that scores the try in the end to win it. And, you know, I, I think we missed a couple of opportunities early in the game. And, you know, you think, man, you know, you've done all this work to get to a final and it goes away from you. You know, um, the Heineken Cup semi again, we've just been speaking about, you know, definitely. I, I know We know we were the underdogs, but we created enough opportunities and had enough line breaks, especially when we had to lose under pressure mm. to put some more points on the board. And we just didn't have that last bit of precision right towards the end. And again, when you're talking about, you know, world class teams and those operators, that's the difference um I guess maybe one that I didn't really have control of but you know the the premiership final Mm -hmm. in 2009 you know I remember I was carrying a knee injury through kind of the back third of the season and it got to the last game I remember Toby Booth just saying to me mate you I can't play you anymore you literally you're hanging on Mm my thread and I knew I needed this big operation coming up in the summer so I went to the Stoopers' travelling reserve. Like they strapped it up, I was like, right, I'll do my bit. But obviously, you're like, man, what I would give to be out there. Obviously, we won that game, brilliant. And then the final is a two-pointer, and you're like, man, what would I give to have been out there to have tried to make some sort of difference? I mean, two, three points away from climbing the summit and getting it done uh,
2: isn't it it's the curse of the spectator anyone that has ever played the sport or any sport if you're injured and you're watching on the sideline you're always there going oh come on but i could have done you know yeah you
1: know? No, I, i'm i'm a terrible watcher uh, <laughs> you know if i'm injured or not picked or whatever you know you just obviously you you envision yourself and what you would be doing and the impact you'd like to be trying to make uh, so I mean I, there's there's so many moments like that where you just I mean again if you could turn back time if you had your time again what would you dif- do differently and so many others i guess you just try and take them all as learning points so that if those situations come up again or you get another opportunity that the outcomes more in your favor
0: Yeah yeah just a yeah. Uh, just a quick one to jump in there we had um, a good friend of the show Pete Bracken on a few weeks ago and uh, to Sam's, one of his highlights was actually uh closing you down and uh tackling you and basically Lies. stop it, <laughs> Lies. because <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Yeah, he was like, Oh, yeah, uh, I was w- coming around the corner so I'm in the and Topsy got the ball, and you know, he could have gone around me, but I sort of you know, closed him down and, and took him to the deck. Is there any truth in that? Because we need to get that <laughs> straight with Pete. It
3: was a you game, tell um, him. Game.
0: I need to see video evidence of this. 'Cause it, 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 it sounds
1: like sounds like fantasy that I I would choose to run straight at him as opposed to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was say
0: I mean it may have been a narrow channel, but you know I I'll Yeah, maybe, to-
1: maybe. Maybe there was eight guys on the other side. <laughs> yeah. There, and I was like, oh, I'm in a corridor, what could I do? <laughs> so yeah,
0: so- hey. sorry Pete, uh, I think we've uh, I think we've busted that myth.
3: <laughs> so so you mentioned about obviously Irish reaching the Premiership final um, all sorts of success going on. How did it feel then to, a matter of years later, be ending up in the Championship? What, what was that like and, in the club?
1: Yeah, that, that was tough, um, especially the, the first time. Probably hit me the hardest because... Um, I think the biggest thing for me was actually the impact it had on other people in the organization. Um, you know, you're devastated. You, you, you feel like you've let people down. Um, and obviously not for lack of effort or anything like that, yeah. but you, you, know, we just weren't as good as the other 11 teams. Um, but you know, to see people losing their jobs, people being made redundant, saying we can't afford to keep you, um, that, that was really tough. And actually, people that had become more than just colleagues, they were friends in the office and seeing people in tears as well. like That that was really tough. That hit me the hardest. Um, to add to that, you know, at the time, I would I dislocated my shoulder, I think in the March. Mm. So again, I was now out of the frame, couldn't do anything. And again, we're trying to do something. I'm saying, right, well, I know I need an off. I'm going to delay my off and just travel with the team. And we're going up to Newcastle for that game that we played. I'm just saying, I'll support and I'll be there. And if it makes 0.01% of a difference, I'll do it. Um, see, it didn't in the end. Um, but yeah, it was really tough, obviously. One, one of the, the low career points, um, because I guess you know, it's almost that classic, like, you know, you, you don't expect it, it will ever happen. You think, oh, we'll be all right. We'll come good. But ultimately someone has to go down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that season, you know, We struggled right the way. I don't think we didn't win till Boxing Day, I think, or something like that. I need to check that. Um, It's a really slow start in a season of a lot of transition. I know new coach, new ideas. Um, We definitely had the quality in the squad, um, but we just didn't deliver and, you know, paid the ultimate price. Uh, I say, the the standout, obviously, feelings for me, you know, just real, like, like you'd let a lot of people down, especially when you care about it so much as well. Um, like I saying, you have those bonds with people on and off the pitch. Yeah, really tough.
2: Did that come with a side of sort of, I mean, did any players or, or staff uh, you know, associated with the club, did anyone suffer mentally with it? I mean, did anyone have you know poor mental health? Was that, was that sort of not really shone a light on back then? I suppose oh, it was not that long ago, but, you know.
1: Um, honestly, I, I'd say probably not shone a light on. I mean, it, I, I would imagine that some people would have done a lot of soul searching after that. Um, like I say we were all responsible in our own way whether it's from you know top leadership through to us players delivering on the pitch you know each of us have to take responsibility for something like that and to own our part in it and say right okay where could I have done better been better so that this didn't happen Um, you know uh, I guess the funny thing with sport you know there, there is a lot of stuff with mental health I think you know one thing it offers you is the opportunity to bounce back. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people I know maybe their comfort was in right, okay, we're gonna smash this at the first attempt. It was almost like switch our focus now, okay, this has happened, deal with it, process it. But I remember even from we had a lot of review meetings at that end of the season and you uh, know, for the guys that maybe knew they were staying, had contracts, this, that and the other, it was were coming straight back up, no questions asked. And maybe that was where they focused their attentions. Um no, I, I I I couldn't really speak for everyone because you know again you talk about off-field stuff, people losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. You probably got that initial emotion, the distress, the sadness, and then probably twenty-four hours later, you're like, right, okay, I I need to pull myself together and I I need to get a job so I can pay my my rent and stuff like that. So um, it is tough. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some people didn't struggle a little bit, especially if you've not experienced something like that before. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know I haven't, but. Like I say, my thing at the moment, I was in the midst of, right, I've got this big shoulder upcoming, coming. I'm going to be out for five months. This club that I've been out for years has now been relegated. I'm responsible for that in part. Mm. So my whole goal was, right, get fit. Uh, I think my due date back fit was the first game of the season. So mm. it was like, right, be ready and get ready to rock and roll. I'm going to smash this and bring the club straight back. So that was kind of where my my thinking went.
0: Was there any sort of uh, complacency with the squad that you know of? Because obviously, well, we spoke to Sonati Sonati and said some of the sort of the bigger names at Newcastle. You know, when they the, obviously they knew they'd be playing Championship sides, they wouldn't sort of had that edge in training. Or he spoke about not being so motivated because he didn't want to be playing Championship level rugby. You no, know, is that was that in the, in your scene, or were you just straight back on it? Right, we're coming up next year type thing.
1: Um, no, I. Let me think about this. I mean, we, I remember Nick Kennedy was was brilliant. And I guess because we still had the playoff system. So from the get go, we, we kind of said, look, right, this is going to be a a long season. Okay. Granted we should be in the mix for top four. Our aim is to get promoted, but ultimately it's going to come down to the playoffs. So to keep guys motivated, to keep everybody engaged in this, we're going to run this really heavy rotational system whereby hopefully by the end of it, pretty much our main core squad of (laughs) senior guys plus academy guys, 40-45, would have more or less played the same amount of games. So we tried to work it like you know three weeks on, week off, give people equal time off, try and spread the workload and basically try and accelerate it so that come playoff time, it was an even playing field, and it would the guys that basically got to almost get us promoted. Mm-hmm. It was down to right, how have you performed over the course of the season in the build up to those playoffs? so that was kind of how he set the strategy out and uh, i mean I, I think that that worked massively because you know it is it feels like a longer season because of the break I mean they're not breaks, but you have the b and I cup, you know when the internationals are on, you're not playing, so in one sense, it's great that you have a lot of time off. Mm. But then you're focused on your goal, which is promotion. And it's like, at points, definitely it was right. Especially, I think at one point, you know, we, we didn't lose until I think we went to Jersey. I can't remember the date of that. But I mean, we'd lost one game. We secured our playoff spot well ahead of time. So there was a bit of a lull in terms of, right, okay, come on. We just want to get this done now. Especially, I think, after Christmas, there was a period of it was like one game on, two games off. BNI Cup, then a championship game, then another break. And it was like, man, okay, we want to get this done. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'd say undoubtedly there there were dips here and there because, you know, you are focused on that goal. And especially for me, I I watch a lot of rugby anyway. So you're watching Premiership rugby. And I I think I'd started to work in it a bit at the time. So you're kind of hovering around it. (laughs) And you're like, man, okay, come on, right? I'm ready to get back involved. Um, But, yeah, it, it was testing. In times, no doubt about it. But I, I think the strategy and the way we went about it made sure that there weren't those kind of love. Not too many of them, anyway.
0: Yeah, so obviously, you know, you're known as the, uh, the one club man. Was there any uh, thoughts of leaving when you got relegated? Because obviously, you know, you're looking to progress your own career, but obviously you decided to stay. Obviously, also, you know, rugby hasn't necessarily got the loyalty values as it once had.
1: Yeah um the uh, no the, the simple answer to that the only time i came close was i think 2009 2010 um that was the only time i came close and not because i wanted to leave just cuz there were there was offers and i was like okay that was the first time i'd really thought about it but it wasn't for very long because you know i was happy Playing good rugby, I'd just been in the England squad as well, and was on the cusp and it was the build-up to the 2011 World Cup. Uh, where were the so offers?
2: Just out of curiosity, where were they, <laughs> the office from?
1: Uh, France, funnily enough. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that came, but again, I, I I wasn't really interested too much. You know, you, you're flattered
0: because again, yeah.
1: I, I'd not really thought about it. So you're like, wow, okay. Um, but then, like, say where I was in time in my career. And even off-field as well, you know, I, I was like, no, I, I'm staying. And, you know, in and around the time of, of the relegation, you know, I would bet my wife then, um, we'd had our first son. So it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about my family and where's, good, where's best for them. Um, I was in contract as well. So all these things kind of add up. Um, but I, I, get, you know, I don't regret staying. Absolutely. You know, my, my focus was getting fit and getting Irish back into the
3: premiership. Awesome. I just want to mention sort of one more career point, and then I don't want to have a chat about some of were off field um, since retirement. When you started, would you ever imagine that for the same club you would break the record appearances, record tries? Is that still quite surreal, or was that, did you have that dream? Like, is that where you really wanted to end up?
1: No. No, if you'd have said it, I would have been like, no, no chance. I mean, um, you know, I mean, initially it was just about getting through the academy and breaking into the first team, you know, and you come in as a young guy and, you know, we had uh, Justin Bishop and Paul Sackey on the wings. Uh, Scott Staniforth came over from Australia. Um, and you're looking at these guys and like, right, OK, these, these guys are the business. How am I going to break into that? And then you finally do crack it, and then you're just looking to establish yourself as a regular first team player uh, and then build from there. And I guess as as time goes on, you know, I guess the milestones, you know, they kind of came, but again, without really thinking about them too much, you know, it'd Mm -hmm. almost be like, you know, someone in the (laughs) off field team would say, oh, you know, this weekend's your 100th game, by the way, or this is your, your 150th. And it was only, I think, until I got to about 250 where people kind of started to say, oh, actually, you're, you're not too far. What's the record? Like, you're not too far off that. Because mm-hmm. um, then I think after 250, there weren't too many ahead of me. I want to say it was maybe Neil Hatley, Deck Danaher, Justin Bishop was the other. I can't think if there were many more. Um, so I think that was when, and, and David Pace, of course, as yeah. well, in around that. So that was kind of when maybe the countdown started. Um again, I, I tried not to think about it too much because again, you're just competing every week to get picked so you can go and play. So you, you've got that comp- competition going on off the pitch. Everybody wants to play and you just want to get on and perform. So, you know, the games, you're not really counting in your head. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, right, okay, you're, you're 10 games away. You're five games away. And I remember like laughing because, you know, as much as you're like, right, anything could happen. Like, you know, I could not get picked, I could get injured, and you start thinking about it, and then you don't perform very well. So, you do everything you can to not think about it. But um, yeah. I mean, you're human, it, it, it's very tough not to, especially as it got closer and closer. Um, and then obviously, not doing it the easy way, I had to break it twice, I had to do it once out yeah. in Paris, and then I did get injured. The pace he overtakes me, then he retires, and I have to try and break it again and take it off him. so a long long, long road to try try and tick everything off um it's still weird now when people kind of say if they introduce me or someone talks about it and says you know these records, and I guess now I'm able to think about it properly and say, okay yeah, you, you did that, and nobody can take that away. hopefully it will stand for a very very long time. um geez, it took me well, i guess sixteen year career but it took me. 13 years of playing to do it mm-hmm. um, and with the way the game is going you know it, it's tough it's attritional so
2: I was just going to say I don't think players are that loyal anymore and that's yeah. not a dig at the players That you know unfortunately a lot of the players go where the money is and, and sad state of affairs you know you don't get as many players like yourself who, who commit to, to one club for their career and um, you know we need more players like that really
1: yeah I mean it's, it, it's, it's a different time at the moment different market you know clubs are spending um, you, you can get global superstars into your team and, you know, obviously the Premiership is, is re- results driven. You know, mm-hmm. if guys want to be at the top and they want to win things. They want to win the Premiership, want to win the European Cup and they know that maybe they don't afford themselves the time now. They're like, we need results, instant results, especially if you're not up there. If you're up there at the moment, it may be easier to stay there. Mm-hmm. But for guys wanting to break in, you're thinking, mm-hmm. man, I, I need to spend. I need that quick win. So I guess guys aren't afforded that time to really develop, um, to extend their careers, to stay loyal because there's always offers. And, you know, say with the way the market is now to to teams are spending. So guys want to maximise their careers. Um, Like you say, I think it's it's a different time now. You know, there'd be a handful of players who have spent seven to ten years plus at one club. I know there are guys out there definitely, but, you know, it's probably a lower percentage now.
2: Yeah, well, I suppose when you when you started playing, it was uh, still unprofessional, wasn't it? So, you know, to go from was it? Or I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it. I don't know
1: what. what <laughs> no, no, I'm not that old. Jeez, yeah, I, I thought it was in
2: nineties. The nineties it got made professional, wasn't it? It
1: got professional oh, yeah. in ninety nine, oh, and I oh, turned pro oh. in two thousand and three. Sorry, we can edit this out. Make oh, sure yeah. we can sorry. sorry. your face. So sorry, sorry Tom I'll too. leave it in on purpose. Do <laughs> oh, yeah. man, um, yeah, my book.
2: I get my get me dates mixed up all the time. I'm not here for the uh, rugby. I'm, I'm here for
1: the good right. <laughs> we'll, we'll just turn your, your mic off now. So, you're... <laughs> so,
3: saying saying all about the on-field and everything, off-field at Irish, you're always going to be a legend. and You seem to be getting quite involved with a lot of the, foundation, uh, the London Irish Foundation and really getting that out there as well as the move to Brentford um i just wanted to touch on a little bit because i think you're you're a trustee for the foundation
1: I'm yeah
3: saying. some of the projects that are going on because like, irish at the moment particularly with covid going on the amount that they've been doing with power day and everything providing meals etc and then the amount of work the foundation are doing there's quite a new setup but some of the projects like the homeless projects uh beat like the street as well and the beat with yeah girls, Was that something you really wanted to get involved with um, coming out of your career or was that an opportunity that came to you following the retirement?
1: Um, I would say say both. I mean, um, so our foundation, we're a very young foundation. It's been something that we probably should have done a long time ago. Um, So when it was formed and Andy Keist approached me about being a trustee, I mean, I jumped it. I said, yes, Absolutely where do I sign up and what do you need me to do? Um, because I guess when you're getting towards the end of your career and you're thinking about what the next steps, I mean, one thing that was very clear to me was was giving back to, I guess, a game and a club that had allowed me to do so much. So, I mean, the work with the foundation, the projects you've mentioned, I mean, again, because we're so new We're still quite a small team, but the impact that the guys are doing is, it's unbelievable. Like, um, you know, making really, really big differences, you know, getting guys on the streets and getting them into housing, getting them into jobs, you know, working with young people, just giving them opportunities, Um, using rugby as like the vehicle to drive it, but it's more than rugby is the side piece. It's actually just kind of literally picking people up and giving them a chance, giving them time, even just giving them a conversation cup of coffee, cup of water, things like that, young people empowering them. Um, so, I mean, it, it's been brilliant to be involved in that. And I guess sometimes I, I guess feel bad's not the right word, but, you know, I I guess as an ambassador and as a trustee get to be the one to tell you about it. But, I mean, mm. there's guys that are doing 10 times what I'm doing and having yeah. really, really massive impact in a lot of these people's lives. So, I mean, it. it it's brilliant to be involved in. And like I guess say even like with, with the, the Powering the NHS initiative, you know, from Power Day and with the club, I mean, again, just wanting to, to reach out and help people in what has been such a tough time. You know, the NHS just doing a, a ridiculously good job in keeping people alive and, you know, dealing with this huge pandemic. So I guess, you know, a, a lot of similarly aligned thinking it was like, right, right, how can we help? We're at home, we can't work but that doesn't mean there's nothing that can be done. You know, I guess driven by Paraday and our chef at Irish Bogdan who's been in every single day cutting, driving. I mean, it, it's been it's been a huge effort um, and it, it's great to see. And I think with the whole, again, moving into Brentford and London as well, I think there's a, there's been a big realisation that the club can do so much more and mm-hmm. that they're going to do so much more. And with me, it's brilliant because... Like I say, that's that's where I want to be and really make an impact. So again, this whole lockdown period has been again giving me a chance to kind of move into some areas that I really want to. Uh, qualified as a mentor now as well, so I'm looking to really heavily get involved in terms of kind of helping the next generation, whether that's from a rugby coaching perspective. But for me, actually, I think more it's more the whole person perspective, actually trying to empower and give young people as much guidance as they want. If they want to try and get into rugby, then brilliant. I'm happy to sit and listen and and to tell you my story and some of my experiences. If you want a bit of coaching, I'm happy to do that as well. Um, but I'm um, just looking to make as big an impact as the club has started to do as we move to a new community. We still want to do that where we have been, but I think this whole transition into London it's a brilliant opportunity to really try and make a difference. Anyways, we, um, oh,
2: sorry, go on. Oh, as I say, a lot of our guests we've had on recently, we've been asking sort of uh, similar questions. And uh, we've been asking for a Dream 15 um, for players that you shared uh, a field with. So the rules have been slightly bent, depending on who we have been speaking to. I think it originally started with people you've either played with or against. Some people have okay. said, oh, just a team that I've played with. Some people have said it's people who I've shared a pitch with so we're quite uh loose when it comes to the rules with this um but if, what out of the people that you've shared a pitch with in your career so what would be your sort of dream 15?
1: Oh, wow here we go okay um spot I see now if any Irish boys are listening they'll be like, why didn't you pick me I remember I did, <laughs> <laughs> earlier this season I did um like a, a premiership 15 mm-hmm. uh, for some work I was doing with Channel 5 and Again, had text from the boys Ah, you didn't pick me what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> can't be biased here yeah I'm, I'm, yeah so um, okay let's see 15 I will pick Dylan Dylan Armitage um, Sylos playing really. on the one wing probably Sivivatu on another wing yeah. would say um, centres let me see oh wow see probably Manu would be one. Um, Manu and Nonu. Nice. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a combination for you. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Um, <laughs> and add another one in at ten. Dan Carter at ten.
0: What do you think of his comeback, by the
1: way? Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> like, I caught wind of it yesterday, and I was like, "Is this for real?" And then saw the announcement. And I was like, "Man, man yeah. he, he's probably going to carve up as well. He he's still got it." So. Well, you can, if you like can see sport, how he's going Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. That yeah. Definitely. I mean, geez, fair play to him. That's brilliant. Scrum half. Scrum half. Scrum half. I'm trying to think. Who's been the most annoying scrum half? I've played <laughs> again. The Dodgers um, got me in there. Well, yeah, he's very chirpy, actually. But I guess most of the time he was on my team. So it wasn't too bad. Um, I'll come back to scrum half. I'll come back to scrum off. Eight, uh, Chris Alafia. Seven, George Smith. Uh, six, six, Jerry Collins. Nice. Hell of a seat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, let's see. Lot combinations, lot combinations. Um, Nick Kennedy will be one. Definitely. Um, just uh, never seen someone steal so much ball. Like <laughs> honestly, from, <laughs> there was one purple patch where pretty much the opposition's line was our line because you just knew he was gonna steal it. It was one of the one of those. Um Nick Kennedy and Simon Shaw.
0: Mm, solid. Nice.
1: Yep. Um front row, shock Brits, Yeah. Uh Tonga Weir.
0: Oh, away! what a blast from the past.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's a toss-up between one current, one former, Andrew Sheridan and Mako.
2: What oh, hell of a team. I say, we say this every time, but every team we've had has been different. I don't think... There's probably only two teams where they've got picked the same player and it's only one, you know. It, really? you going to put them all onto, like, um, <clears throat> sort of, like, Instagram posts i will mean, get people to vote on like, have like a round-robin of tournaments of everyone's teams um, and then have like a mini World, well, Club World Cup type thing. Again, just a bit of fun in lockdown. But um, no, that's, uh, that's a hell of a team. And who would, you have, uh, who would you have managing it? Oh,
1: Toby Booth. Good show. There's one man who knows how to get the best out of players on the pitch, but then really look after them off the pitch as well. He, he knows how to get that balance. Awesome.
2: Awesome.
1: Um, and let's lead us on
2: to the, the fateful lockdown question we've been asking everybody.
1: Um, you've been asking everybody.
2: I've been asking everybody. <laughs> I'm trying to cut it out, but I, I don't know that. Uh, basically, right. You, you're in lockdown for two weeks with a player that you've played with, let's say not shared a pitch with a player that you've played with at some point in your career. Um, you are literally locked down for two weeks. You cannot leave the house. You're not allowed an hour's exercise. You're having people bring food to you. You're shielding effectively. Uh, who would make it an absolute nightmare? Who out of everyone you've ever played with, do you think, oh my God, I couldn't survive two weeks with them? And a why? Stefan
1: Armitage. And
2: why
0: oh, is that? Oh, oh straight, straight away.
1: Time. <laughs> <laughs> Second time he's
3: been wow. <laughs> Matt Pursuer said exactly the same thing.
1: Did he? Oh, he'd, he'd be a nightmare. He'd just be moaning. And like, it'd be day two and he'd be like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, help me please and they'd be like oh can you do this can you do that like yeah just no <laughs> i'm glad map said that as well i think you'll get a lot of boys
2: that there's shit. a trend form in here he's, well so to yeah. have to come on and defend himself isn't he to, yeah get
1: him yeah. on get him on <laughs> tell him see if he's got any defense and if he has he's lying
2: like... <laughs> I mean, oh is it the same reason is it because i mean uh, I think it, the guy said that he was just an absolute nightmare on the drink as well. Not not in terms of a drink problem. Dumb i just point that out. Yeah,
0: I was going to say. On the beers.
1: Another, another edit, another yeah. edit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> busy evening. Um, yeah, Steph's likes, he, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a free spirit. He likes to get, be out there and doing his thing. So like, he's one of those guys, if you tell him he can't do something, he's day one, it. he's like, why can't I do it? No, I'm bored now. <laughs> I need to do it. Let me out. Let me out. So yeah, he just, he, he'd have no, tolerance to, to to stick it out fair enough, fair enough.
2: and one final sort of jokey question um you wake up in a dark room um little that little freaky thing from saw comes in cycles in on the little tricycle and says right to survive you've got to clear the table now on the is four bottles of jaeger 20 pints of guinness um and 20 pints of lager who would you pick to help you
0: get through that
1: wow well,
0: that's a spread Life um, or death. life or death? Do, do you use the same alcohol every every time you ask that question?
3: <laughs> oh,
1: To get through the whole thing,
0: yeah,
1: gotta be done. You've got a few hours to do it. It would probably be one of
3: Chris Halafia. <laughs> That's what Matt said as well last week.
1: It wasn't uh, like, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> he's just uh, again like he'll sit and he'll just quietly polish the whole thing off with you okay you won't need much conversation might be the odd thing here or there but he's one guy he'll literally sit down with you and be like right we're not leaving until this is done and you'll be like okay Chris yep <laughs> and <laughs> then great. you just get stuck in fair play. fair
2: play perfect and just one final question it's not a, not a sort of a, a silly one but it's a once again, I'm borrowing Jack's question. He, um, he asked a few weeks ago, but if you could give your 16-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Um, my 16-year-old self, I would say a couple of things. Everything will work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take on as much advice as you can get your hands on. Mm-hmm and work as hard as you can for anything that you want. Well,
2: that's great advice for any 16-year-old, yeah. not just yourself, obviously. That's, that's amazing. Um, and just um, one more thing I was going to say. Obviously, um, with Dodger 7s, we're you know, associated with mental health awareness. Um, you can imagine there's going to be a lot of people struggling at the moment in lockdown situation and what we're, what we're going through. Do you have any advice for anyone struggling uh, at the moment um, any any sort of personal advice that you might give someone that might be listening
1: yeah I do and like I said it's a, I'm actually yeah, glad we probably a good one to finish on um, so in what I was saying earlier about you know kind of some of the stuff I've been doing in lockdown um, I feel like there is a growing trend now of more and more people coming out and talking about their mental struggles and what, what they've been going through and mm-hmm. again in my thinking of how can I help I think is there more that can be done earlier i mean life is tough life is rocky professional sport is ridiculous for ups and downs Mm -hmm. but could more be done maybe earlier in their growth could they be given more mental fitness more tools to help cope with with like say life and sport you know and to understand that not everything will be smooth and i guess if i'm gonna give a message or advice as tough as it is find one person that you are comfortable enough to share whatever's going on with Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and it could you know it might not be one of your best friends might not be your parents but if there is one person in your circle that you feel comfortable talking to reach out and it will I guess it will open your eyes to how good a network of friends you have because I'd put good money on the fact that anyone you reach out to will listen and I guess that's the start of that journey. Just sharing with people what's going on in your life. Like um, I say, I've known family, friends who, who have struggled. Um, you know, I was, having, I was having a talk with someone the other day, and I actually apologized because I said, "Man, I had no idea that you were struggling." Um, and he said, "Look, I, you know, actually, I should have reached out to you, but I didn't. You know, I didn't. I I felt embarrassed, you know, with what I was going through, and I, and I didn't." Feel like I should be experiencing those feelings and I should be struggling and I just said look yeah I I get that you know that's probably one of the things you know you you don't you feel embarrassed you feel like you shouldn't be feeling that way but I just said look anytime any place you ring me I will pick up the phone and whether it's 10 minutes or it's an hour I will sit and listen let you get what you need to off your chest and then we'll figure out a way forward and if I can't help I'll try and find somebody that can you know I don't have all the answers but i think one thing like i said i'm trying to get better at is being i guess a sounding board someone that's happy to listen and someone that's happy to help so yeah th- that would be my message you know yeah. there there will be someone no doubt about it you know i think you know we've all got brilliant friendship circles and sometimes it's tough to kind of go past that barrier and think oh they don't want to hear about my problems but you'd be surprised but sometimes uh, you find if if
2: on that front, so let's just put it into a sort of role model. If I was thinking, oh, I'm worried about ringing yourself, it's not just a one-way thing. If I ring you with an issue, you might be struggling, you know, and that call from me could help you as well. So it's kind of, it's a two-way thing. If people think, oh, you know, I've got friends in the past, oh, no one ever calls me, no one ever texts me. So do you text us or call us? You know, just just reach out. But but yeah, it's a two-way. Yeah,
1: like you said, it's the assumption, isn't it? Yeah. You know, oh, he's he's doing all right he doesn't want to hear my problem, and then you ring and actually you know what I'm going through the exact same thing or something yeah. similar yeah. and once you start generating those conversations you then whether it's together or you know you, you figure out a way to move forward so again okay, yeah. it is the hardest step like I say you know we're true men 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 are proud you know we like to take things on on ourselves and think oh, I can do it myself, I can sort it myself, but actually there's real strength in even if it's just one person, finding one person to share it with. No, that's awesome advice.
0: Perfect. Great. Well, on that note, thank you very much, Topsy, for coming on. Really appreciate your time. No did, problem. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed that. That's good. No oh, worries. It's uh, been been a long to speak to you, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can get you back on uh, at some point when there's actually, uh, some actually much actual Robbie to talk about. Yes, yes, please. That would be great. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thanks All very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers. All the best. Bye. Okay.